Hey all, and thanks for listening to Brubble, a podcast gathering young voices and perspectives from around the Brussels bubble. The EU policy and lobbying scene is ripe with actors representing all walks and ways of life. And one of these areas that I admittedly know not very much about is animal welfare. Some dedicated people and groups lobby to improve the EU's policies in regard to the safety, well-being, and acceptance of animals around us. And today, I'm joined by one such person, Jonathan. We'll take a look at what he does as an animal welfare advocate, what issues he works on, and how this impacts us. Let's get into it. So, Jonathan, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Um, happy to be able to be here. Just chat a bit about animals, I guess, which it seems almost too fun to be some kind of line of work, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess for me... It doesn't. I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have uh, yeah, have gone into it. But of course, I mean, it's, yeah, I love what I'm doing. So that's kind of great. I'm grateful to be able to do that. I don't think everyone can. So Yeah, I mean, well, speaking about what you do, do you want to tell the kind listeners, what do you do in life? What brings you to Brussels? Yeah, I came here in September and uh, for an internship, actually, because I, I'm German, but I was studying in the Netherlands, in the far north uh, Leeuwarden, um, if anyone knows that. And I do animal management, basically yeah, animal welfare, um, environmental stuff, um, which I'm very interested in. And so, yeah, I decided to come here to join Eurogroup for Animals for an internship, which turned out uh, yeah, great. And uh, that's how I de- also decided to, to actually stay. And then now I'm writing my thesis also for Eurogroup for Animals. Um, should I maybe introduce uh, Eurogroup for Animals for the people that don't know? Go for it, go for it. Because I will admit, I didn't hear much about them until I saw some like EU policy briefs floating around. I'm like, that's a catchy name. What do they do? What, what, what was their modus operandi? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think most people don't know it because it's this umbrella group for basically, yeah, 84 um, animal welfare and advocacy organizations in the whole um, European Union. So basically... They represent all these um, voices for animal welfare and, in that sense, all animals in Europe to the European um, institutions and basically make sure that in new decisions that are made, the well-being of animals is well-respected. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I, I'm Simon. I always introduce myself a little late to keep viewers in suspense, but I myself, I, I work in tech, <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoy just being able to, like, see how the policy works from outside. It's something I've always enjoyed, and that's kind of how I find myself in Brussels working for the company I work for. But I also grew up on a farm. I grew up around animals, and, you know, maybe I could have ended up an animal lobbyist, would you say, yourself? Animal activist? How did you end up in that field? Like, what's your... Because I feel like you're driven more by passion than maybe me, because I mean, you know, I love my computer, but it's not what motivates me in life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I would agree. I, I, I think I've always been fascinated by, by animals, especially by wildlife. I've lo- watched a lot of documentaries when I was a kid, and I actually started off um, being very interested in, in conservation, conserving um, wildlife, conserving um, yeah, the environment. And um, that's how I got, of course, to animals and now um, ending up at your group of animals that doesn't only look at wild animals, but also um, farmed animals. So it's really been, I, I've always been looking for the place where I can have the most impact. Yeah, I really want to make a difference in that sense in, with what I can, with my resources. So yeah, being in Brussels, being in the center of the EU feels like a very good place for that and also like influencing EU policy, you have such a big influence on 
on billions of animals in the whole on the whole continent. So that's that's great. I feel I feel I found a place to have a good uh, impact. Yeah. Well, I'm still kind of intrigued by what you do day to day. So what kind of files do you work on? Like what occupies your mind like today or yesterday or what's what's the big things you you do? Actually, at this point, I'm writing my thesis, like yeah. I said, for um, for your group for animals. So the topic of my thesis is the EU animal welfare legislation, and that is currently being revised. So basically... The rules that govern how um, animals are kept, how the, the, how we get like the animals are treated, that we get our meat from, how um, how they are treated and how they are kept. Um, that's what it regulates. And I'm basically looking at two kind of forgotten species, which are rabbits and turkeys, ah. um, because they are at the moment not covered by specific EU laws that say this animal can have that amount of space. This animal. Um, needs to be treated in that way because actually only very few species um, have that like um, chickens and pigs um, they have these specific rules but so many species including rabbits and turkeys are just not not really covered they are all covered by the same law that is very vague yeah so that basically leads to a big lack of animal well-being there for these species so and i'm looking at how what what would they need um, to have an, a life worth living. So basically, um, I'm, give, I'm giving recommendations for that, and Eurogroup will then use them for policy briefings that they will give to the European Commission and um, try to influence this um, decision-making process to actually uh, create a Europe yeah, worth living for turkeys and rabbits. So no, that, That's really interesting, because I've never really thought about how turkeys, maybe their conditions aren't covered in the same way that chickens are. Because I know chickens have like a mandated amount of space they're allowed. And yeah, no. I mean, we have a few turkeys on our farm at home. And they're very interesting animals, <laughs> I must say. So one of the questions that kind of popped to my mind as you were giving your talk about like the, the current laws regarding turkeys and rabbits and et cetera was how come there is this gap in policy? Is there a reason behind it, or is it just kind of an oversight because there's so much to regulate here in Brussels? It's what we do all day. But. I think the reason is very much that, yeah, they are kind of the forgotten species. Like, of course, then then um, the amount of meat we eat um, of rabbits and turkeys is is smaller than the one we eat like um, beef or um, or pork. But still, actually, when you look at the amount, the number of animals, which are all sentient beings, rabbits are actually one of the most slaughtered animal in the European Union. So that, in that way, it is not really justified. The, the EU just started regulating like some species, and um, for the others, there seemed to be not enough pressure or not enough political will to also give them a better life. Yeah. No, that's, well, that's really interesting, too, how there's just these forgotten tidbits of animals out there were there any other issues that kind of surprised you as you were working at the Eurogroup or something that you might have like not known during your studies in in, in Leeuwarden right and maybe just hands-on experience got you that information or got you that insights yeah there were actually many things um as I got like into this this bubble and into this animal welfare EU world <laughs> one of the things um which is quite interesting I'd never really thought of it is um fur farming Oh. There are um, yeah millions of animals in the European Union that are that are just kept for the sole purpose of making clothes out of them basically, <laughs> like they are not even it's not even meat made from them that is at least food but it's really just for joy for 
unnecessary clothing in that sense. And but what is very um, interesting and and hopeful and promising at this point is that actually Eurogroup for Animals, together with many other organizations, they started an ECI, a European Citizens Initiative, um, just two weeks ago to end fur farming in the in the European Union because. Basically, it's mostly um, foxes and mink. Basically, it's like wild animal species that are kept in tiny cages. That is even worse than keeping the domesticated um, animal species like pigs and um, yeah and cattle, because they are at least kind of used to this interaction with humans. It doesn't stress them that much. But wild animals kept for fur farming for an unnecessary purpose, this really needs to stop. And now, yeah, we started this um, European Citizens Initiative which is actually um, not only a normal petition, but the good thing is it has real implications. You have one year of time to collect one million signatures, and if you succeed, the European Commission needs to answer and needs to act on it. So that's that I would also suggest everyone um, who hasn't signed yet <laughs> to look it up. Um, Fur Free Europe, it's what it's called. And it's a great opportunity to get engaged in policymaking and actually influence what is happening in the in the world around you. Yeah, I'll definitely, if you send me a link, I'll definitely drop in the description. Uh, get you maybe two of those million, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> uh, hey, all. I just want to do a quick cut to thank you all for to listening to us right now. And if you could like this episode or share, that would be amazing. Also, if you would like to be on this podcast, feel free to send me an email in the email address below. I'm always looking for new people to share their voices, their stories, and it's just a great way to, you know, practice your podcasting abilities. So hope to see you there. Thanks. So what kind of caught my eye for this topic? Because as I mentioned before, despite growing up on a farm, animal rights or animal welfare, I mean, if you're a farmer, you're like, I treat my animals fairly. It, it doesn't really fit on the top of your mind. But what caught my eye is when I think Politico was dropping some article or some, some update, and they were like, ooh, the Tiger King laws of Europe, where I think last week they were, there was a new position paper on a new EU legislative fr- framework, which caused quite some noise around here. Do you want to maybe describe maybe to listeners what big things are a moving beyond those citizenship initiatives and beyond your your revamp of the turkey laws <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course this is basically a position paper on a positive list for pets um, which aims to get a, yeah to create a positive list for yeah pets and especially exotic pets because at the moment in the EU you have a so-called negative list which basically forbids some species that are deemed um, dangerous or not being able to be kept well but um, this can't really keep up with the exotic pet trade the exotic pet trade is yeah. moving quite fast there are many different different species and um, the positive list is a different tool which acts on the precautionary approach that means that only the species that are really on the list they are being allowed to be kept i don't know if yeah i can have like a whole discussion about this <laughs> but um, i don't know what interests you most about it uh, let me know no, I, I think it's very, for me, what stood out to me a bit was kind of how there was the positive and negative kind of differential, maybe because it's going back to, I guess, you know, positive rights, negative rights, kind of how it's set up that way. But do you think that's an optimal way of legislating whatever's happening here in Europe? Is is that the distinction you want to see made? Or is there any better ways to proceed with these kind of policies? No, I, I definitely pr- um, support this um, this positive list because it it is really a good approach to to regulate this way it is precautionary this principle is used in many ways especially for for animal welfare if you are not sure about um, what consequences something will have you should rather be precautionary than being too late right yeah so 
um, this is definitely something that I su support. And it's also great because yeah, several member states in the European Union already have this approach and they, they see that it is working. So now it's a matter to, to make it an EU-wide list. And it has, been, it, has given, it has been given great support by the, by the European Council, by the member states, but also by the European Parliament now. So basically, the whole the whole support um, of the of the member states, but also of the European citizens, um, is there. So now it's really um, on the European Commission to put forward um, a proposal on this to include this um, in legislation and make sure that um, animal welfare is protected. Like basically, our pets, um, if we keep a snake, it should be able to um, fulfill to to live a good life. Um, if it's not a being able to to give the, to get this good life in captivity, it shouldn't be kept. And actually, another thing that is important about this positive list, it doesn't only look at it doesn't only look at, look at animals that are that can't uh, get good animal welfare in, in captivity, but also at bio, the effects on biodiversity, because many species that are actually caught from from the wild um, yeah. to be kept, like frogs, for example, which is really devastating for the species in the wild. Um, another thing is our um, animals that you got keep as pets, then they escape, and then they can become invasive species that then also are dangerous for the for the natural for the native um, species for the native wildlife. So it has many um, many um, implications, and the most important at this point, most relevant maybe is also it also looks at um, public health and public safety, because we saw um, COVID nineteen was also possible yeah, zoonotic disease. Um, and this is what happens if we keep exotic pets close to us. Yeah, pathogens can can spread, can go to people and possibly cause a new pandemic. Yeah, no, fascinating. Because I, I did a little bit of background research on this. I, I will admit, I, I do my homework <laughs> occasionally. And I didn't put two and two together when I thought about the public health stuff. I thought it was just simply just on the wellness of animals. So it was really fascinating for me to see the different implications and how far reaching the impacts of these kind of new policies are. What do you think impacts could be on, I guess, the everyday listener, the everyday person? Do you think they'll actually see some change in their daily routine or daily life from this? Or is it more, I guess, large level in that sense? I think at first it could be difficult to see. But of course, for pet keepers or people that are interested to get a pet, it, they will realize it directly because they will see um, these are the species that we can keep, that we can keep safe. Of course, they are also very interested in um, the, the health um, of their animal. So for them, it's a great choice because they can see these animals are allowed. These are the animals that actually do well um, when I keep them. Um, and another thing, we all hope it won't happen, but it could be that uh, that future pandemic um, gets created by um, a pathogen yeah, crossing from um, yeah, from an animal to, to a person. So that if we don't get the positive list, it, it might be a contributing factor for a future pandemic. So let's hope we get this positive list and no future pandemic. <laughs> I like how you're framing this in terms of like the topical issues of the day, really putting the importance on your work here, <laughs> frontline workers here. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's any more hurdles? Because I know you mentioned, I think the last last real hurdle was, I think, the European Commission. There was some yeah. work to be done there. But are there any other, I think, steps that need to be overtaken? And if so, is there something that, I guess, the listener can do? I think in, at this point, it is really about um, putting pressure also on the European Commission. It has gotten a lot of media attention. I mean, you have, you have read the article about it. So I think um, everyone can can share content about it to to put further put pressure on the European Commission. 
and ask them because at the moment there is they're working on their um, action plan against wildlife trafficking and that's the that's really the opportunity the opportunity is now to include this positive list into this action plan um, so everyone can put pressure um, yeah and share that stuff but in general I think it would be um, I want to remind, of course, also for the European Citizens Initiative, yes. which is, an, of course, not related directly to the positive list, but it's another way um, of really getting involved at this point. Do you think that citizenship engagement is really important then? Because I know citizenship engagement, especially with, I think, the, the, the future of Europe uh, plans that are being talked about. I mean, as a citizen of Europe, and I guess I'm a citizen of Europe too, like how big do you think citizenship advocacy would be in areas like this? I think... I think we should try to get involved as much as possible. I, I must admit, before coming here to, to Eurogroup for Animals, I didn't even know about this tool of a European citizens initiative. I had never heard of it. And I think it's a shame that little people do, because this is a real tool to have direct impact. Of course, it's always important to vote, um, to get to get your voice, uh, make your voice heard. But really getting having a tool of direct engagement is something special i think and we should always try to use it and share our knowledge about the tools that are there with yeah. everyone we know and it can also be quite funny sometimes because I, I think america has the same kind of tool and i, be, I think the part, i think their senate had to seriously look at proposals to build a death star once so <laughs> you could you could totally abuse that a little yeah 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 for sure for sure yeah uh Speaking about, I guess, Death Stars, is there anything else we should keep our eye on in the animal welfare world? Is there something else that, I mean, we've talked about the turkeys, we've talked about the, the citizenship initiative you're working on, and some of the other things. Is there anything else in the future, in the next five to ten years, that you think needs to be changed, or things that you hope you will see changed? I mean, there are, there are many things uh, that <laughs> deserve uh, attention, but I think one thing that is also being uh, worked on at the moment, and it's quite interesting and important, is the laws um, against um, deforestation, mm. imported deforestation, because because of many products like um, like soy uh, that we import from, or beef even, that we import from Brazil, for example, we basically contribute to rainforests being cut down. Um, this of has big climate implications, but also, of course, animal welfare and biodiversity. So many species are eradicated. Um, and that's something that is being discussed at the moment. And I think it's a big chance to to also um, put some pressure um, on the on the people on the commission, um, yeah, on people working on this now, because um, this is our chance to protect not only forests, which are already like being discussed to be protected, but actually also many more ecosystems where they are destroyed for for production of um, of soy or raising of cattle. They are also threatened, um, and they are currently not included in this um, approach in this legislation. So I think that's important, and I really hope for some uh, some further push on this. Yeah, yeah. And I think it does kind of help that, I guess, the EU has a reputation of being like a regulatory powerhouse where whatever we do now here does influence, hopefully, what others do abroad in different countries. Do you think that we could be doing better as the EU, or are we kind of leading, as we like to say ourselves, as, you know, the Brussels bubble effect or as, like, the regulatory powerhouse of the world? Or do you think there are other countries which you, in your work, look for inspiration towards who are particularly doing it well? Who we need to write a letter of appreciation as a citizen? <laughs> okay, I think I think the, it's right that the European Union is seen as this, um, yeah, regulatory powerhouse, and it, it's true that 
policies that are adopted here because they are, they are often stricter than in the rest of the world. So that has a big impact actually also on countries outside of the of the EU. It's called the, the Brussels effect. Yeah. So that's, um, that's a great um, thing to be aware of and a great opportunity. Um, but I think we shouldn't forget that even if we are leading in some areas, there are many areas that we can improve a lot. And also we should take our role of leading seriously and not... Um, say are we already the we're already the leaders why should we do more i think this is a great chance and we can really um impact the the life of animals in this, in this context uh in all of the world yeah no i think that's a great note to kind of start wrapping it up towards the end a little bit is there any final words you want to say in this topic before we move into our personal question or other little segments we have to round out this podcast at this point, uh, yeah, I have um, nothing specific to add. I think. You've, you've exhausted your animal knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed this because it, it's one of those topics I never really get a chance to look at. But it's it's like one of those many things which, you know, underline what we as Europeans take as like, you know, our value to principled approach to life, our, our values, which I mean, are human values, but they're also animal values, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe one. Th- maybe I actually have one thing. Go for it. Um, what I find important and was of often um, forgotten or maybe not many people are not aware of it is that I think we should really look at um, health in general, not as this health of people and this health of animal um, apart but i think that we should see it as one this mm. so-called one health approach and i'm i'm convinced that the the health of animals is connected to the health of people and also to the health of planet of the planet so one example i could give if you if we keep animals in a very bad way in very confined spaces the animal gets sick the the disease of the animal is a zoonotic disease makes us people sick um, and on the other hand, also the animal lives in this small space. We keep uh, millions of animals that um, also emit a lot of carbon dioxide that then in, um, heats up the climate. And that in the end leads back to us and we suffer um, from storms and weather extremes. So I think we should really look at it as one. Um, no, that's a great way to look at this very holistic in a sense where every action has a consequence you know the butterfly flaps at wings and it causes a ripple effect but it, it's much more direct than that where it's, it's very symbiotic i like that analogy or even the way of thinking about it it's i hope that's something our listeners and myself will take away from this <laughs> <laughs> but they should also take away from this podcast our personal question will ask because um, i always like to drop a more mystery personal question the, the debate curious because <laughs> you know this is a podcast on the animal welfare and you know i bet the first question you get asked is always do you have any animal stories you want to tell and that's going to be the one I'll start us off with, if that's not too classic for you. But do you have any animal stories you want to tell, you know, that really inspired you or really hurt you in many senses? <laughs> Good question. A specific story of an animal? I don't know, just anything that pops into your mind. Maybe a, a nice encounter here in Brussels with one of our many wild pigeons, because I feel like there's so many of them here. I don't know. Actually, I have uh, one thing. Um, yeah, when I came to Brussels... At some point, I'm also quite into yeah, bird watching, so I yeah, yeah can recognize some <laughs> sounds of birds. But then I was walking, I was actually cycling through Brussels, and at some point, I heard this weird chirp, which I couldn't locate and couldn't figure what it was. And I was looking up, and I saw this this group um, of of parakeets, of green parakeets. I was like, "Whoa, what are these birds doing here? They're not supposed to be here." <laughs> but actually, there are quite a f- uh, yeah quite a few in in Brussels. 
um, of these green parakeets, they are actually also an invasive species, which is a shame, but still they are very beautiful to look at. And I've had several encounters after. I've never noticed this before, but I think myself and everybody who's gone to this point in the podcast will be on their eye out for green parakeets across Brussels now, which yeah, is yeah. a great tidbit to take away from this. Look for them. You will find them. No, I've, I've always been, for me, it's always coming from Canada. We have some geese at home. The Canadian geese, whenever I see Canadian geese anywhere, I'm instantly like patriotic a bit, but also annoyed because those things are terrorists to some extent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, because every time I think Canadian geese, I always landmark that in my head because there's this one mural in Brussels somewhere in one of the random alleys, which has a Canadian geese on it. And I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> why? Uh, well, I think we're going to try to round it up now. I think this is a great conversation. I, I did learn a lot. I hope everybody else did as well. And I'll give you the final word to say something about where you think the people should go to right after this, where they should put their votes or democratic say. <laughs> I mean, I've mentioned several times already, but go to furfreeeu.eu, actually, and uh, sign the European Citizens Initiative to end fur farming and yeah, end this cruel and unnecessary practice that would uh, help everyone a lot. Yeah, well, great. I really enjoyed having you on today, Jonathan. It was a pleasure to get to know a bit more about this topic and hope everybody else learned something too. And yeah, Thanks. It was a pleasure. Great uh, to be here. Great. Well, catch you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.